Welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh my god. <laughs> I am Greg Tito. I am Shelly Mazanoble. We're doing voices. We're dwarfs. I feel like we're trying to do uh, uh, Sujata Day's character. I was just going to say that. Yeah. I'm not that tiny. <laughs> that's, that's the line that's been going through my head uh, from this Drew Many Eyes so much. She's so good. She's so good. She's yeah, I love I love them from Girls Got Glory. Uh, they will be uh, coming back at some point very soon. We're still working on uh, uh, getting them back in front of the streaming camera. I hope so. All uh, motors ahead on that one. Uh, but what is going on with you? Hey, you got some Avalon Hill stuff it's burning up. Sort the, of do the printing chambers. Pretty soon there will be two awesome board games in your. Game stores. Yeah? Which ones? Axis and LA's and Zombies. Mm. And Betrayal Legacy. Which one is which one's your favorite? <gasps> Stop it right now. <laughs> I couldn't answer that. Who was uh your favorite designer on either of those games? Uh, <laughs> well that I can answer. <laughs> yeah, like, let me just go right in. Never, that. I could never. Uh, I think they both look awesome, and I don't think I could pick one either because they're uh, like two different sides of the, the, they are. the brain they're a little totally bit. They're totally different. Yeah. I will say that Axis and Allies in Zombies is the most fun I've ever had playing Axis and Allies. Oh, well, that's that's a low bar for you. I've had fun. <laughs> I've had fun. Uh, it is a fun game. But it is like super fun. Yeah. Way more. So, and, and I do think that people like me who maybe were like, oh, okay, Axis and Allies. We'll see. Um, are going to be like, yeah, I'm in. Right. And because they, it adds that like that yes. random element that you're like, oh my god, oh, yes. zombies. Yes. I have no Super idea. fun. Yeah. Betrayal Legacy, though, I feel like is the game that I've been waiting my whole life for. Oh, yeah, there's a song about it. I've been waiting for this game forever. <laughs> oh, that was really good. Yeah, you were like, he's, he's not going to finish wait, that. Not the, that's not the song I thought you were going with. <laughs> I thought it was going to be that foreigner song. Oh. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't think I actually had a real song in my head. That, oh. was, that was that was composing. I feel like we can in make real one. time. That was good improv. <laughs> it's improv. Improv songwriter. Improv songwriter. So before we go too much further, I do want to make sure everyone knows that we got an interview coming in this year episode. Uh, I speak uh, to uh, Arnie Jorgensen and Alex Thomas uh, from Stoic Entertainment or Stoic Games or Stoic Studios, uh, one of those names. Uh, uh, But they did the awesome Banner Saga trilogy, uh, the third of which just came out very recently, uh, a fantasy-themed strategy game. And, uh, of course, it's no surprise they're big D&D fans, so we talked about the history of D&D and how it has impacted uh, digital games uh, as well as uh, just basically the lives. I mean, all these... Uh, th- those two uh, folks talk about uh, how they play with their families and they, they play do? with uh, other folks. Yeah, so again, yeah. an interview I would have really loved. I think you would have nailed it. Damn it! I know. I'm so sad. I'm so sad too. You can't go on vacation again. I'm not going. I'm anymore. telling Nathan. You're just no. I'm not. No. I don't even want to. <laughs> Vacations are dumb. Who am I going to cry and or sing with <laughs> when you're not here, Shelley? No one. <laughs> well, Pelham. I mean, we cried right? a lot. We cried a lot, Pelham, right? I mean, there was like full-on waterworks pretty much every day around here, mostly because I was so abusive. <laughs> Pelham can't handle it? Yeah, right. No, I was uh, the one crying at him. Oh, because you were so self-abusive? Exactly. Yeah, that's I'm right. dumb. I'm the one that made her go on vacation. <laughs> that's, that's why she left me. <laughs> It's all my fault. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what's not stupid is the amount of products that we have coming out this fall. Oh, 
Right. Which is a lot. We've got uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, no uh, uh, which we talked a lot about during the stream of, of Many yes. Eyes. People have been playing through all what's going on with Waterdeep. Uh, that comes out on September 9th in hey, game that's stores. really soon. Very soon. It's like right around the corner. And uh, uh, we also, of course, is available everywhere on September 8th. 18th. I got it wrong. It's September 7th. It's going to be in game stores. So two days Even earlier sooner. than I just said. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So September I feel like 5th. You just gave us a gift, be- Tito. <laughs> That's true. I just took away two days yes. off of your life. Uh, or in a good way. I mean, <laughs> I gave them back to your life. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Uh, there's endless quest co- books coming out from our partners uh, uh, at uh, uh, so Matt Forbeck when? wrote those. I when? can't wait. We're going to talk to him. Uh, I think pretty soon. That oh, comes out awesome. September 4th. Also very soon. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, and Adventures Outlined is out in game stores now. It'll be out everywhere uh, August 21st. It's a coloring book. It is an amazing looking coloring book. You love book. this book. I do love this book. I can't wait to. Uh, Are you like a relaxing? coloring kind of guy? You know, I, I actually I think there was definitely a point where uh, we colored a lot more with the girls than we do now. They've kind of, their interests have gone on to, to, to different things. So we don't do it as much, but I liked having the adult option yeah. when I was coloring yeah. with them because it was, oh, I, I liked it. Please don't tell me Edna's not doing art anymore. She's doing art for sure, but not as much coloring. Okay. Right? Like she's doing her own art where yeah. she's drawing her own thing. Yeah. Yeah. But no, constantly, constantly doing stuff. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that's coming out, uh, like I said, very soon. We've got uh, the ABCs and 123s of D&D we announced. Yeah. Uh, those are awesome books written by Ivan Van Norman, uh, illustrations by Caleb Cleveland. Those are out on October 23rd. They're $14.99 each. Perfect gifts for the Chitlins in this holiday well, season. You got any friends that are about to have a baby? This is a really good baby shower gift. That's right. That's a really good baby shower oh, gift. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, uh, it has rhyming couplets uh, that teaches, you know, uh, some like D&D lore, yes. all about adventuring and imagination. So it's got like some positivity going on there. Good stuff. Can't wait for that. Um, and then uh, we've got Dungeon of the Mad Mage, November 13th, everywhere in game stores on There's November 2nd. There's, I, oh, I saw some proofs of this in the D&D area, uh, really? the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and it looks fantastic. Every single level, it's just like, oh, my God, they crammed that in there, too? I know. That, they did that, when, too? Though, I don't so even great. know when, because they were working on my stuff, too. I know. I, you've got a lot of stuff. So I don't know how they did all this. I don't know. And there's even another thing that we haven't even announced yet that they're oh, working no. on. Oh, no. Gosh. Soon we'll announce that, too. Oh, okay. uh, everyone should, uh, will be doing a lot more with this uh, in the next couple of months, but Extra Life is going full force. Uh, we'll be streaming live on November 3rd, which is the big game day. Uh, so look for more details on that. We have some Extra Life pages set up. So if you want to join uh, our uh, efforts to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network, uh, this is the time to do it. Play D&D, raise money, get all of your uh, friends and family to contribute to uh, getting all this for the kids. It's awesome stuff. We've raised, gosh, more than... Uh, uh, $500,000 over you, the last five years. Are you serious? Yeah, tons of money from, from D&D, and we'll be doing, trying to break all those records here, too. Uh, we raised ten grand during the Founders and Legends Day that we streamed in uh, the summer, in what? July, and uh, we're looking to do even more, like I said. So, uh, Mike Merles is uh, going to build some custom character subclasses for you. That's a great way to, wow. to buy it. That's a high price point, though, but it's worthwhile because you get something specifically designed by Mike, for which is awesome. you or for, like, for you, for Everybody. whatever you choose. If you if you donate uh, $2,500, you might be able to get a custom subclass made for you. 
by Mike Morales. What about 2,500 product points? I think he might be able to do it for that. Because I kind of want my own sub You're like, here's some fun points, I'll Mike. design it. But then I can do it. But then you you should for put 25 up twenty five bucks. You should put up some uh, Avalon Hill stuff that you would like get. You know, for I actually think for usually I just donate to Extra Life. But now you I can contribute. Play. Yes, do I might it. play in a game. Do it. I, I would. I'd be so happy if you did. Really? Yeah. Let's do it. Are you DMing? Uh, I probably will. Yeah. Bart, playing. Bart's uh, is the one who's doing all this. So talk to him. And get on there. Get on the roster. I might do it, you guys. Yeah. Because it's super fun to play D&D, but it's also super fun to raise money for a good cause. Yes. And now you can do both of them at the same time. Uh, a lot of our streamers will be participating in it. It'll be lots of fun going forward. So uh, go to uh, uh, dnd.wizards.com slash extra life, and you'll find out everything you need to know there. Uh, and it, it benefits everyone, so it's good stuff. Um, we also will having a Dragon Plus issue 21 uh, coming out this week, all about the kids as well. For that reason. Can't I think wait. it makes perfect sense. There's lots of good features in there, including uh, kid-friendly introductions to D&D, a Q&A with our friend Kyle Balda, uh, oh. who is the director of Minions, uh, and he's been on the podcast before, Kid's coming to the office. Friend. He's a great guy. Um, also, uh, Jim Zub will talk about his work on the Rick and Marty comic that Morty. he's working on. Rick and Morty? Yep. Did I say Marty? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just channeling that it's a Back to the Future reference. Um <laughs> Rick and Morty. Uh, that, so Jim Zeb will be talking about that. He's writing with uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, I've also seen the proofs for that, and that looks really fun. Yeah, That looks like a really good product, so that's pretty cool too. Cool beans. Well, I think let's jump ahead uh, to our awesome lore segment uh, and uh, have everyone learn about Aurora's Whole Realms catalog from Mr. Chris Perkins. Whoa. What do you think? Is that like the service merchandise catalog? It's exactly like the Sears and Robot catalog, <laughs> but in the Forgotten Realms. Cool. Yeah, you'll hear I'm all about in. it. You'll hear all about it right about now. All right. Bing bong, bing bong, ding a dong, ding a dong. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. That's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Hello. Today, on this segment where we will talk about uh, a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons lore uh, for your own uh, education, here is one that is Aurora's Whole Realms catalog. Yes. Very good. We're going to talk all about this specific location within the city of Waterdeep. So, um... Is it like a Sears and Roebuck catalog of... I'm glad you mentioned it. Yes. Is that where it was based? That's exactly what it was based on. Nice. So... Maybe, Aurora- maybe we should tell people what that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Since we yeah, have listeners right. who probably don't yeah. know. So, well, you can tell them what a Sears catalog is. All right, is. yeah. So, uh, uh, back in the day, before there was an internet, yes. people bought things, you know, in person. Barring that, you didn't have anything. Until Sears and Roebuck came around, and they were like the mail order kings yes. uh a lot of right. the, the the wild west uh shop owners yes. stocked their shops yes. from this catalog absolutely because it was the, all right well you can't get it you can get it from sears sears would ship it out to you uh and then of course we now have the the modern day uh retail chain named sears is a uh, evolution of that and then of yeah. course basically amazon and everywhere you order things online is also another uh, extension of that but exactly back when uh, uh ed greenwood was creating the realms sears and roebuck catalog was a very very real thing yes and people depended on it and so um it was basically decided that the forgotten realms has the equivalent of that and that is called the whole the aurora's whole realms catalog now aurora is a figure 
in the realms. Mm-hmm. She is a business entrepreneur who basically started up this company, this red-haired beauty um, who – with great business sense. And uh, so her company is actually located throughout the realms, um, very prominently in Waterdeep. She has Aurora's Whole Realms catalog operated out of six different shops in Waterdeep. Um, where you can go pour over their catalogs, look through stuff, point at things and say, I want that, and then it will come to the shop and you can pick it up and poof, off you go. Oh, all right. So it was very much just, here's where you can order magic items. If you exactly, need yes. And there's like an Aurora's shop in Westgate and there's another shop in this other city. They're basically scattered all over the realms and there's really nothing else quite like it. Mm. And it is a direct analog of the Sears Robot catalog. It's sort of managed the same way, handled the same way. And back in first slash second edition, TSR released the Aurora's Whole Realms catalog as a product. It was a paperback cover book about yay big and all black and white with pictures of all of the items and gold piece prices or copper piece prices, silver piece prices, and little descriptions of what they were. And they ran... And they were all mundane, so there were no magic items in here whatsoever. Oh, it was really? All just mundane stuff. The stuff like, that you'd be able you want to buy a harpsichord. Here it is, and it actually had like a picture of a harpsichord and the price, and talked about what a harpsichord is because you probably didn't know it because you were like twelve years old and <laughs> you never seen one before. Um, <laughs> Who listens to Bach anymore? Yeah, it's like you can buy priestly stuff here, aspergillums and censers. You can buy thieves' tools. You can buy mallets. You can buy sheets. You can buy. It, it was just absolutely full of absolutely mundane stuff. And it's, it's like looking at a hardware catalog, yeah, essentially. But, but an adventurer's hardware right. catalog. But because it had gold piece prices and silver piece prices and, gold and copper piece prices, it felt like something in-world. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Similar to the Volo's guides, how they were yes. like these in-world things. Exactly. You know? So pretty much – and the role that it served in the game was it – it was really the first greatest expansion to the equipment list mm. in Dungeons and Dragons. Prior to that, you had the list of equipment in the player's handbook, which yeah, mostly focused on adventuring gear like ropes and lanterns and mirrors and tinder boxes and stuff. The Whole Realms catalog product, when it came out, was the first time uh, there was a D&D product that really expanded on that list of stuff and literally included everything from shoes and boots to different kinds of clothes and, um, and uh, equipment, apparel, That's so hardware. interesting because I, I, I love that simulation idea of, of, right. of, of a D&D game. So yes. creating a product that you know mm-hmm. probably 99% of adventurers would never need, uh, but this is this world-building yeah. uh, yeah. information is, is fantastic. And I love the fact that you, know, you go to the entry and you want to buy a hammer and they actually put a picture of a hammer in the book like you wouldn't know what one of those looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but they do that in all uh, you know, catalogs exactly, now, right? Right, it's, yes. It's, here's yeah. the item. Yeah, exactly. Just so to make sure you know what it is. There are all these little black and white illustrations of just common things in there um, and it kind of makes it a, a magical little product. In fact, I think that if you if you had to go on eBay and try to find one old D and D product that you might actually use in your game more than any other, yeah, this is probably it. Interesting, yeah. Um, and over the years since, we've never released anything quite like it. Um, 
Something that was so in world that yes. didn't really have you know an applic- applicable you know story yeah. reason yeah. for it to be. And all there. through second edition, other products would refer to the Aurora's Home Realms catalog as a sort of a go to for equipment. So if you walked into, um, like, there's a spell jammer box set that came out and it described this place and space and the mm-hmm. store where you can go to to buy stuff and it just says see the Aurora's Whole Realms catalog for items that you can buy here. So right. it makes it very it, easy. It, yeah, it sort of threaded itself into all of these other D&D products over the years and became this kind of necessary resource for a lot of dungeon masters and a lot of DMs because it was written like an in-world thing. They could just hand it to their players and say, "Okay, you want to buy stuff? Here. Take a look in this catalog, tell me what you want." Mm. It, and and it didn't contain any magic items at all, so that was no. like is that something that was added later? No. It was, it was always for mundane stuff. That's correct. Yeah. Got it. Um, the idea was conceived of by Anne Brown, who was a TSR employee back mm-hmm. in the day, um, and then executed upon by a number of people on the TRPG staff. I think uh, Robert King, who went on to write several novels, mm-hmm. um, was the lead designer of the book. Oh, cool. And I can only just imagine you know, having writers actually just type up descriptions of some fairly Nine yeah. things. Here's a box. Exactly. It's got it's got four sides. sides. <laughs> right. It's a wooden box. Yeah, but now I'm almost wondering if, uh, as a novelist, there was almost some threads of story that were they were woven throughout those entries. It was all pretty spare. Like each entry was basically a paragraph. Yeah. Um, and I think within that book, it was fairly thin. Like it might have been. It's a small book, but it might have been like 96 pages or something like that. Yeah. They would get anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen items on a page. So with illustrations for you know a third of them or a quarter of them. That's really cool. Yep. And so we now – we still assume even years later that these places still exist in world. Um, whereas Aurora, she might still be alive. She might not be. We don't know. But her company lives on and you can, oh, st- you yeah. can, you can go to Aurora's shops throughout the realms – and buy all this stuff, uh, which is kind of cool that it's sort of survived. Yeah, some, you know, throughout so many exactly. changes and, and yep. events, yep. there's still yep. commerce that goes yep. through. Yep, yep. I like that a lot too. Uh, so, uh, is there, there? So there is definitely a shop in Waterdeep. There are six, six um, different shops. In six different places you can go to shop. Now they don't necessarily have in the shops all of the inventory, but you can order them there. Um, and then the items will be found and delivered. But yeah, they've, they've got six shops scattered throughout, and um, which is unusual. Most cities don't have that many. That does seem like a lot, but it's home base type of thing. Is there uh, logistics and warehouse setup? Like, is it all stored in portable holes? Like, how, <laughs> how, how, how do they actually do it? Oops. Um, unclear. Unclear. It's Unclear. A, a magic? Uh, I think it depends yeah. on how much space they have. But it wouldn't be beyond the pale to think that they have magical receptacles to hold all this stuff. Sorry, I'm trying to actually open up this document and it's not letting me. No worries. Uh, so if you, oh, well. uh, if you order it, is it uh, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Is it a long time or is it instantaneous? Uh, about six to eight weeks. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Send itself as dressed uh, stamped envelope. Six to eight, ten days, yeah. It's ten days, yeah. 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 Uh, exactly. So it would be mundane. So that must be, there, there, yeah. there must be a post system right. or something. Yeah. 
uh, which is rife for uh, adventurer Absolutely, hooks. yes. And it also just makes for, you know, interesting mental imagery of, you know, you might be on a road, I might be on the long road um, heading out of Waterdeep and a caravan coming the other way has like a piano on yeah. the back of it. And it's like, well, what the hell are you bringing that for? Oh, somebody from Aurora's catalog ordered it. Ordered it, it so right. So we're bringing it, you know, straight from... Tribor or Yartar or wherever. Or what a great, you know, if you want to have an excuse for an adventuring party to be, uh, uh, you know, caravans are often often used, obviously. Yes. Here's, that could be your whole campaign. It's just, yes. hey, we go from place to place wherever yeah. we're supposed to to yeah. help deliver yes. stuff. Yeah. yeah. We're known for getting to places that are really hard to get to. Yes. You know, if someone orders it in right. a yes. cave in the, yeah. in the mountains, yeah. you can go up there. It's also good for just sort of demystifying things. Like a DM might not know right off the bat how much like an umbrella costs. But this whole realms catalog will just tell you, and then you don't have to worry about it. I didn't even think that you know umbrellas existed in the realms, but I guess they do. Yeah, right. Why yeah. wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. And it's not the same kind of spring, you know, lock yeah, yeah, mechanism. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, they had they had umbrellas thousands of years ago. So of course they would be there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so uh, players can use this to uh, as, as their own too. So to get the, some yeah, stuff. the great thing about Aurora's Whole Realms catalog is even though it's now ancient, you know, thirty years old or whatever, um, in real world years, uh, it's still as relevant and useful today as it was when it first came out. Yeah, There's, it hasn't dated itself um, out of the game, right? Because. Yeah, you could probably niggle over the prices and say, well, you know, compared to the prices in the 5th edition player's handbook, these don't seem quite right, but whatever. Blah. Yeah. yeah. Fortunes change. Exactly. You never know yes. what, what it's right. going to be worth, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of fun. But that also, you know, you can use that data if you want to do more of a simulationist mm-hmm. type game of like, yep. you yeah. know, this cheaper Neverwinter because those prices are real. It's just in the cities there are. But if you go yeah. to the smaller cities, you know, you might be able to... Uh, you know, have some some real world trading mm-hmm. things going on in your yep. campaign, which is another part of D anD D that I just love for some silly reason. Yeah, it really sort of digs down into the economy of the world, which is kind of fun. Yeah, um, and it doesn't the fact that it doesn't rely on magic items, and you know, that is kind of interesting. That is, there have been other D anD D books that have dealt with that have you know priced out that have been just magic item compendiums and things like that, but nothing like this. Yeah, nothing with just like what does the world look like. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a good snapshot of that. Yeah. Uh, so we should reprint that and then also some water, water deep wazoo uh, yeah. uh, I'm sure you, I'm sure Aurora's Whole Realms catalog must be on DMs Guild um, yes. in PDF form. So people can probably get their hands on that pretty quickly. It is definitely worth a checkout. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, great tool for, for people to use in their game. Absolutely. Um, if people want to ask you uh, how much an umbrella costs on Twitter. Yeah. I am at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. I am at Greg Tito D&D, and I'm going to say three silver. Okay. <laughs> if I can open up the folder, I would, <laughs> yeah, you would tell, tell me right away. Right off the bat. All right. Well, we'll have someone check it for us. Yes. I do not have that information codified in my brain. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not up there with all the, the Dragon Magazine <laughs> no. issue numbers. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes. It'll be there soon. Yes. All right. Thanks, you guys. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Lore You Should Know. That was a really good Lore You Should Know segment. That was. Do you feel like you know everything about the, the catalog and, and where to buy goods at in, in Waterdeep if you were going to go check out Aurora? I do. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, I do. Yes, I. That I, was very good. It was. Yeah. I feel like I know everything, and uh, now I want one of those in my real life. You know, it's somewhere I can order stuff, and it would just get sent to me. Uh, Gosh, that would be so cool. Why doesn't that exist? If it was like in a came in like within a day, right? Maybe two days. If you like lived in the same area where the company's headquartered. That would be, It'd be awesome. even faster. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be real cool. Uh, so we have this awesome interview uh, with uh, Arnie Jorgensen and Alex Thomas uh, from uh, uh, Stoic. Do you want to go listen to that? I do. You actually. were not involved in this. But that's why I can listen to so it. So you can listen to it. Yes. All right. Well, let's, let's Looking give it forward a, to it. Let's give it a listen. Uh, we have Arnie Jorgensen. Hello. Hello, everybody. And Alex Thomas. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. Both of you from a Stoic Games or Stoic Studio, correct? Stoic Studio or is Stoic it Studio? Tech? But we we technically we just call it Stoic. All right. Yeah. So you guys look very Stoic in your uh, in, emotional states right now. <laughs> You're like I've never heard that joke before. <laughs> <laughs> we try. We try uh, so you guys are uh, busy working on Banner Saga Three. Uh, it, it, it's coming out very soon, if not already. Correct. It actually came out the 26th, 26th. So a few days ago, and uh, it's been a really great launch so far. You know, there's there's a couple bugs we're hammering out, so it is true that we're still working on Banner Saga 3, but it's it's out. It's out on every device known to man except for mobile right now. Nice. Very cool. I can't wait to jump into it. I played a lot of uh, the first Banner Saga, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to continue that saga uh, because it has so much great storytelling within it, very similar to uh, Dungeons & Dragons. And I was no surprise to me to learn uh, that many of the folks behind it were Dungeons & Dragons fans. So, uh, uh, Arnie, why don't we start with you? When, when was your first experience playing Dungeons & Dragons? My first experience playing Dungeons and Dragons was in front of an A and P, and if you live in the Northeast, you know <laughs> what that store is. That's right. Where did you Where did you grow up? Uh, Long Island. Long Island. All right. I was uh, I was in Connecticut. I could uh, on the on the uh, Long Island Sound, so I could see. Yeah, we literally from our backyard could look across to Bridgeport. Nice. So, yeah, we, we used to sail across there all the time and whatnot. I was but, closer well, to New London, but go ahead with your with your. How okay. do you play in front of a <laughs> in front of a grocery store? Um, yeah, so my, my cousin came into town and we were really young. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what, what age I was. I must have been like nine or something like that. And he said, I've been playing this game called Dungeons and Dragons. So we had no paper, we had no dice, you know, and he just started making up stuff and my brain exploded. And uh, I, th- I really think that the early days of, of Dungeons and Dragons, and there was another game, Adventure, we used to play, but all uh, pen and paper stuff was really what got me into games. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple. That, that's what got me into the love of games. And then, of course, you know, other, another video game got me into actual video games and design and, and, uh, and doing that for a living. What was it about that experience of, of, of uh, playing in front of the grocery store that just you know, well, brought it you know, forward for you? Yeah, before, you know, before you had DVDs or VHS or anything, there was, there was just TV. And I remember one time... I was watching TV, and on comes this show called The Hobbit, like the old animated. I love that one. And my gosh, I just got so into it. So then I went and I read the books. I read Lord of the Rings. And, you know, you're kind of just imagining, wouldn't it be neat to live in, live in that world? And then so here comes somebody with a game where you could actually kind of live and delve into that world. And I think that's that, that, that really kind of caught me at a young age of you can do anything. You know, and it's still that way. I still play D&D with my kids. 
um, I, we still run campaigns, and uh, and it's really different than video games for for us because my kids love video games too, but they're way more into D and D and pen and paper stuff because you get with a group of people in real life and you can do anything. You know, video games. As much as I love them, there's a lot of things you can do, a lot of things you can't do, and you eventually understand the game. Oh, okay, I press this button and this side, but you can't just climb a wall and jump through a window and you know run out and fight a dragon or whatever. Um, so I. Uh, I think the newer generation that's playing D and D. I know right now D and D is like as big as it's ever been. Yeah. And the newer generation that plays it loves video games, and then they play one game of D and D, and that's it. Like that's they would rather do that than play any video game or anything. So it still has the same exact feeling to you know this newer generation uh, as it as it had with me. Right. Right. What uh, do you remember? What character you played uh, in that no, first session? No idea. <laughs> It was probably like a, a it was it was probably like yeah a fighter or dwarf or elf it was like Something. yeah they melded together into this is so awesome I've got to go out and look <laughs> up the books and find out like where do I go the library you know I didn't know nice how to get into it uh, what about you Alex what was what was your first experience like playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> I probably have the polar opposite to Arnie's story in which <laughs> I didn't have that group of people who wanted to play it when I was a kid so. My first almost experience was this game called uh, Heroes Quest, yeah, which was like a board game, uh, but it had a lot of D and D kind of similarities. And uh, trying to get my family to play that was a huge chore. Like they didn't get it at all, but I was like, "This is so awesome! We got to make it work." Uh, anyway, eventually I kind of moved on, went to college, got a job in games, and didn't actually play D and D proper until. 30 something because before all that time it was like you know I had these I had these co-workers who were such like D&D aficionados that they had like moved on to all the different branching properties like you know they wanted to do Cthulhu and uh, Lord of the Rings and like so they they had like done their 20 years of D&D and were yeah off, off into the weeds and uh, I, I finally got back uh to the roots, like not too long ago, uh, and played it, and it was always something that really appealed to me because the whole fantasy setting, I think, is just something that, um, you know, it's like a natural fit for playing this uh, this really kind of made up realm, you know, yeah. where everybody's cooperative imagination. But you can imagine, I've, I played games that Alex DM'd, and he he wrote the Banner Saga one and three. And he was creative director for the first one. So you can imagine how fun the modules are that he writes. And he took a short stint away from Stoic for a while. And, you know, a, a good part of your time, Alex, was creating stories in the D&D world, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I was going to do a side project that was all uh, D&D standalone campaigns. Cool. Um, my immediate reaction to, like, playing role-playing games wasn't like, oh, what character do I want to be? It was like, I'm going to DM now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to figure out how to do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. And it's really all-consuming once you start thinking about it, you know. It is. It's a totally different kind of, of, of writing, but also game writing. Like, you know, so many people write in the video game world and scripts and, and, and dialogue and things like that. And there's, you know, there's some of that in role-playing game writing when you're homebrewing your own world, but it's so much about, like, well... They may the characters and players may choose to go down this path, but they probably aren't. So you don't want to flush it out too much. 
yeah, you quickly find out how different it is just because, like Arnie was saying, you can do anything, which means the players are going to immediately go off the rails, you know. Um, and even what we do, which is try to make as branching uh, a story as we can with the Banner Saga, it's nowhere near the level that, uh, you know, a group of people at a table can, can take it. You can do a lot in the Banner Saga. You can't do everything you can think of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can't just be like, let's go to a different country now. And you're like, no, can't. Right. Sorry. That's, also, that's also hell for a DM. I mean, the, the last module I played with Alex, he created was uh, was about a green dragon that kind of comes into town and destroys this paladin, a high-level wizard, and limps away in pain. And, you know, and you escape from this jail that, that from the town that he came into. And, you, yeah, as players, you have to go along with the ride. Like, we can't say, no, we're not going to go after the Green Dragon. You know what? Let's go try to steal a ship and cross an ocean. Like, <laughs> you know, so th there is a little of that even in D&D. I think you I saw everything. You, you know? can't, right. You try to steer them, but, you know, you never know. I think, that, right. I, think I saw a tweet just this morning that was... Uh, you know, in your homebrew setting, you create this this town with all these intricate plots and, you know, connections in between all of them. Right. And you spend all of your time doing that. And <laughs> similar to how you just described, I think she, yeah. they said that the, uh, the the players came and got on a boat and left the town within like yeah. the same day. Well, we played we played a game with uh, Nola, uh, not Nola, I'm sorry, Piper, uh, Alex's daughter one time. And she became, you know, she was really into her character. And she realized this game is about like my character can die. So oh, yeah, she she didn't know that until about halfway through the first uh, yeah. game. And she was like, they can die, like, forever. And then she <laughs> like, it was real. Like, I am this character. And everything I'd prepared for them, like, okay, you come across this outcropping, you know, rocky outcropping, and up on top, you know, you see these shapes, you know, wandering among ruins. We go around it. You know, it was immediate. Don't go up. Go around it. And she avoided every fight possible. Because she was just living in uh, in that fear. That's Why so do I want to die? Yeah, right. I'd rather go find a nice place to hang out. Let's go fishing, you know? See, that's I, she just wanted to live the Hobbit lifestyle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, how old is uh, is Piper? Uh, she's just turned nine. Uh, yeah, she was playing kind of the, uh, the, the half-elf, not half-elf, the uh, halfling druid. Uh, oh, so she was already uh, uh, very hobbity. <laughs> yeah, immediately went into that mode. That's awesome. Uh, what about your uh, uh, your kids, Arnie? How old are they? Uh, I've got eight and twelve, but oh. my sister and my my uh, my nephews live right across the street. So we have a game of five kids um, playing, and it's it's awesome. Any ages anywhere from um, my youngest doesn't wasn't playing the last one, so anywhere from twelve to fourteen uh, with five kids, and it's. It's like a perfect age. That is perfect. Uh, they're really into it. Yeah, my girls are seven and five, and the five-year-old is just really on the cusp of being able to. She, you know, she can't read yet. She's going to join that, and like once once she levels up, uh, you know, in her mm -hmm. own life, I feel like it's going to be. You know, I'll, I'll bring in all the neighbors, and we'll start doing a lot more. We've we've tried a few times, but we can only really get around like 20, 25 minute sessions before uh, yeah. the the boredom sets in. Yeah, but maybe that's just my, my fault as a bad DM. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. Um, we this has been the best time because I have like a built-in team that will play more often than I could possibly hope to be able to play. You know, right, I've had that before. Usually, you kind of bit, try to get a team together every week or two weeks, and then usually one or two people can't make it. So this has been really great. It is great, and uh, it's funny because you know I, I uh, see my own story reflected in both of yours. Where you know I was uh, like you, Arnie, where I got the uh, the Rankin Bass Hobbit animated 
in my head, sang all the songs, and my brother was older. He's eight years older than me, and he was, he was reading the book, and he was telling me all these things that weren't in the movie. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so great. So I started you know, reading and, and fell in love with that world. Um, and then it was very similar uh, uh, to you, Alex, where I, then I wanted to try and get all my family and all my friends to play, and nobody wanted to. Everybody was just kind of like, yeah, yeah no, it's not our thing. And I was begging and begging and begging, and it never happened. So I didn't actually start playing until I was in my 20s, but like later in life when I was uh, of the idea, I'm like, oh, wait, I can, I can organize this on my own. I have organizational skills that can be put to bear on making sure people show up at the right time and all that, and, uh, and put together a game on my own. So... Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, it, we we meet people who have those experiences uh, very formatively in the '70s and '80s, but there's also this. You can jump in at any time, at any age, and and still get something out of uh, this out of is the storytelling. Pro- I totally agree, and it, this has probably been the most gratifying few months, I guess, in all my pen and paper uh, life because we've got people right now uh, on Twitch and elsewhere. They're coming up with D and D five E uh, rule sets for to play Banner Saga. You know, playing yeah. the Banner Saga. And I'm watching them playing it. And, you know, my whole life I hung out with, you know, I'd hang out with jocks and this and that and, you know, D&D, what we would consider nerds back in the day. And uh, it's funny, growing up, I, I used to have friends like get so tired of me for like lugging around these fantasy books. And it's all I talked about. <laughs> oh, man, all you do is talk about fantasy, you know, you're going to have to grow up or whatever. And then it's so gratifying to me right now to be in my mid forties watching people playing D and D, you know, in our banner saga world, just kind of going, you know what? I guess I didn't have to grow up totally. Yeah. You made it. You made it. it. Yeah. And I'm like, see you punks. What are you doing? Right. No, nope. you get and honestly, I mean, maybe this is because I, I also get this from some, you know, uh, uh, parents of my kids, friends or something like that. But there is the ones that are, able to play as adults and doesn't have to be Dungeons and Dragons, but just playing in general is so healthy, especially when you have kids, but even in just adulthood to be able to turn off the, the worries of the world a little bit and just, you know, mess around, do fun stuff. And, uh, it's always the parents that don't do that, that I'm like, uh, I don't know about you. (laughs) So I don't think you have to grow up. I think it's better to not. And, uh, I met a few uh, parents here where I live in Texas that uh, that are totally into it, which is really interesting. That is good. So I'm going to try to get a game going with some of the parents as well with the kids. Nice. Uh, and you're right. The prevalence of people streaming and online has changed uh, mm-hmm. uh, the whole landscape because it no longer is something that's you know relegated to game stores or 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 you know out of the public eye. It's people people can see it and it, and they get entertainment out of it. That is totally. Uh, additive to the game, the fun that the people have in playing it, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating. You guys just did a, uh, well, not, well, yeah, uh, uh, Hyper RPG just did a uh, stream of uh, Adam Coble playing That's right. Banner Saga. How, how did that go? It was freaking phenomenal. It was a blast. Alex, did you did you watch that? Yeah, I caught about an hour and a half of that, the first one. What did yeah. you think? I mean, like Arnie was saying, it's so it's almost bizarre watching people role play the thing that you made up like in a shack a couple years ago. (laughs) Wait, why Um, were you in a shack? I want to get to the bottom of that story. uh, We had a our first studio we lovingly called the Goat Shack because it was actually used as a shack uh, in a farmer's market for a while. 
um, before someone slapped a, a plastered a door on the front of it and then started charging rent. Uh, nice. But it was in like a good spot and it was it was it was a really good time. It was like a, the scrappy indie thing to do, you know. And uh, some people make uh, uh, hardware and games out of their garage, but you guys had a, a goat shack. This was worse than a garage. The bathrooms yeah. were outside in like a, you know, like an outhouse kind of thing. And yeah. they were fleas. And you had, you it was next door to an awesome bar. So it was, it was pretty yeah. cool. You were engrossing yourself in the world of Banner Saga. That's right. Yeah. It kind of felt like that too. I mean, it was before we didn't have anything but doing the Banner Saga. It was the three of us, myself, Alex, and John. So we got to really just tune out everything else except for creating this world. Now, even nowadays, we, we have so much on our plate. You know, it's a bigger company. We have lots of different uh, SKUs coming out and, you know, just stuff to do in general. So it's almost like you can't go back to those days, really. Mm. Yeah, and I think that was always part of the mystique of, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and whatever, talking about that garage. It was like, oh, that was just a, a very specific moment in time that uh you know it was more idealized than anything else we tried yeah. to recreate it oh go on alex <clears throat> oh, I, was gonna say, I think there's something to that it's just like the garage represents this place where you can focus on stuff and and uh you know uh work together as a tight unit for for a long time without all the distractions yeah we try to recreate that from time to time. We have uh, sometimes design meetings and we kind of go offsite to, you know, just hang out outside and get away from the office. And, and that helps you kind of focus as well. So when you guys were coming up with the idea for uh, the first Banner Saga, was that, uh, was that inspired by your play of Dungeons and Dragons? Because in playing that game, it definitely felt like, oh, all right, this is this is you know, uh, you know, and I, I pardon if this is the wrong comparison, but it feels like XCOM but in a D and D fantasy world, right? Well, I mean, to be completely honest, I, I grew up as a video game kid because I just couldn't get that group uh, of people. But right. I think what like the games that I was drawn to were the ones like Baldur's Gate which is obviously a D&D session. And I wanted that feeling that, you know, there are other people and they had their own lives and they were making their own decisions. And I wasn't just like gaming a system. I would, you know, in some way, I wonder if like what I was trying to do was to make a, a game, you know, uh, that had other people in it, you know, right? just invent this thing. Yeah, I think for my part, it was, uh, it's definitely, it goes hand in hand with, you know, growing up my whole life reading fantasy novels and then uh, sort of designing many, many D&D camp, uh, sessions because I never, uh, uh, we kind of made up our own stuff for the most part. So it was really kind of a world building thing. Mm-hmm. I loved really getting into and it was a lot of back and forth with Alex and I just kind of going deeper and deeper and deeper into the lore. That's kind of the same feeling I get with D&D whenever uh, I'm, I'm playing uh, as a DM. I want the world to feel kind of alive and cohesive and and living. And I, you know, I think we kind of got real deep in that with the Banner Saga. For sure. I mean, when you when you design that stuff, it a large part of it is thinking about how other people are going to take it in. Just like mm. being a DM, you know, you're. It's gratifying to write a fictional history of the universe and then have other people take it seriously, you know, and uh, and want to learn about it. Um, and that was a big motivating factor for me you know i remember sitting down and writing like this is the entire history of you know the gods creating the universe and how it all worked and thinking like wow i just actually made something that 
you know, other people are going to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super gratifying. Um, and there's there's also these amazing uh, uh, like Norse feel to to Banner Saga. How did that? What, what was the inspiration behind that? There actually wasn't a whole lot of debate about that. I, you know, I wanted to make a, a fancy game, but we didn't want it to be the same, you know, like World of Warcraft had just come out. We didn't want it to be the same kind of uh, vanilla fantasy. And, uh, you know, Arnie Jorgensen has uh, some history with the uh, Scandinavian culture. And, uh, you know, as soon as we started looking into like some really, the depths of North Norse mythology, you can, there's so much there to pull inspiration from, you know, it goes deep. Yeah. That I, I grew up, uh, when I was, when I was really little, I grew up reading, uh, sort of Norse myths and, uh, and books about Leif the lucky and Eric the red and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think even previous to deity and Lord of the Rings, I was already into sort of the elves, you know, things living under the ground, the dwarves, the, you know, and yeah. so maybe that's, think about it now, maybe that's why Lord of the Rings and D and D kind of, uh, it was so powerful with me because it kind of dovetailed with what I was into anyway. Right, because there is a lot of, of of Norse in uh, the the peoples of the North in The Hobbit and, and all that totally. type of stuff, as well yeah. as uh, right in D anD D. I mean, there was there was Thor and 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 Odin and 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 all of those gods in the the deities and demi's god book. Like they they were all statted up in there. I got it right behind me somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, Tolkien totally wrote with the Acer and you know trolls and and giants and that that, that stuff is all all comes from uh, the Norse. Yeah. Um, but when Alex and I, I fir- and I first got along, it was really a, a medieval story, and Alex had this story, and then we really we just changed the backdrop to to be a little bit different and change it to become Norse. That you know at that time the Norse, especially turn based strategy, was, was not a thing. You know. We, <laughs> Break a new ground. Maybe people like it. Maybe not. And then, uh, and then it like exploded with the, the the Vikings TV show and stuff like that. Now Norse is like big, you know. Yeah, I didn't even think it's about that. But it's more mainstream now, right? It, with, yeah, almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, right. Vikings did come out kind of concurrently with when you guys were, were were putting out that first one. So that yeah, mm-hmm. that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, I like that show. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it too. Good inspiration for things. Um, so, uh, turn-based strategy is also a very D&D thing, right? I mean, that's essentially what, how the combat is handled when you're rolling initiative and taking the turns, right? So there's also that dovetailing there with the, uh, mechanics. Uh, uh, so yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, were you inspired there or did you, you know, take things back and forth? I think so. I mean, when I do D&D, we, I, I still use minis and stuff. We actually use our minis from, uh, from the Warbands game that we put out. They're oh, really nice. cool minis. But we use those in conjunction with other D&D minis, and uh, so I've always kind of played it that way. Um, yeah, one of the one of the ways we were able to uh, iterate on the early gameplay was because me and Arnie would get together and then play, like, on a board. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we, we were able to, like, change the rules as we were playing it, move the pieces around, and see how it was going to play out quickly. That's really at, smart. At some point, I think the rules became... 
really difficult to keep our minds wrapped around because every unit had a passive ability and they had an active ability and they would interact differently and some you'd have chain reactions <laughs> eventually it was like okay we got to build this out into a into a like a demo to be played on a on a computer um, but that, that's why the whole the whole game is on a flat board a lot of people are saying you should use height you should use this and and that's not the point it's basically a flat board you know game right it's like saying like, oh, chess, uh, you know, put some, yeah, put some hills I, on chess to make it better. Yeah, not so easy. I yeah. mean, it make it look different, but it's not going to affect the tactics. So what's the point? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, our, our game was designed that way. And, uh, and we just kind of stuck with it. That's really cool. Uh, I really, I mean, do you, I, I want to see almost pictures or videos of you guys playing with the pieces on uh, the board to test we out. Had, the we ability. had some stuff in the Kickstarter video, didn't we, Alex? We, we put it out with us on the board and, you know playing it and whatnot, but I think that was kind of B-roll. Like, that was not an actual session. That was us just showing. Just messing around. Yeah, <laughs> this oh, is sure. Dramatization may not have happened. Yeah. Reenactment. <laughs> yeah, reenactment. You guys had to wear the, the clothes you would have worn during that day. It's just like any other B-roll. Hey, get in front of the computer and start drawing. You know, like you're actually drawing this piece that's been done for a long time, and you just kind of trace lines, and it looks good on video. Isn't that so funny? I love, I love that. Yeah. I, I've, got, I've got a question for you. Sure. Uh, so... From an outside perspective, I'm not really sure, but from an inside perspective, why is it that you think that D&D 5e like, just exploded? It's gotten bigger now. Uh, what, what, how did this work? How did it you know, just sort of rise uh, in the public's eye and, and have more people playing all of a sudden? Well, uh, I mean, it's very hard to, to, to have a one-to-one correlation. We don't know exactly, but we have a few theories. Uh, I think D&D 5th edition came out in 2014. Uh, but before that, it was a two-year, two-plus-year, I think it was two-and-a-half-year public playtest uh, where Mike Merles, Jeremy Crawford, and the rest of the team put out rules and uh, tested everything, like tested, you know, like, what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about this? Things that were more, you know, uh, combat-heavy fourth edition type things or, you know, here's something that we just thought might be fun. Let us know what you think. And there was, you know, more than 175,000 people who signed up and participated in that D&D playtest. And we think that, you know, there, there was a lot. I mean, I'm, I, I, being in here internally, I came in only uh, three years ago, so I heard a lot of these stories. But there was some talk of like, oh, if we give away some of that, it will, uh, you know, people won't want to play the game because they're getting it for free or something like that, right? So mm-hmm. there was, it was like a new idea for, for the way things were run here at D&D. And we think that that catalyzed... Uh, the change, right, and made it so that it didn't feel like, you know, uh, the people here at Wizards of the Coast were in some ivory tower and were just being like, these are the rules, blah, 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 and, you know, dictating them out. The public had, uh, could, could shape it. And then we could also know, like, this, okay, this feels fun. Is it fun for everyone? And it ended up being fun. Like, that's how the um, the advantage mechanic uh, that, that Merle's came up with, where you roll two D20s and take mm-hmm. the, the higher... Um, you know, that was just something that was thrown into a playtest and people really lashed onto it and, and it became, you know, baked into being a big part of, of D&D 5th edition. So stuff like that, I think, really uh, made it have a good launch in, in 2014. Um, and then also, I mean, we've touched on it a few times, is streaming, is, is being able to watch people play a I'm game sure. is so huge. much more illustrative in how a game is, is, is played, right? I mean... You know, if you think about baseball or football or, you know, any of the sports that are like, you know, people just know the rules of right now. You didn't learn those rules by reading a manual. You know, if you looked at the manual for baseball, you'd be like, this is 
gibberish. I don't understand any of this. <laughs> but you watch the game and you talk about it and you, you, know, you have someone who's a little bit more experienced than you tell you why that strategy and those things were made. Um, and it wasn't until the technology of having people be able to stream from home as well as you know, uh, uh, places like here on, on, on D&D, uh, uh, the Twitch channel, um, that it became codified where people could watch it and then there was this chat to be able to be like, oh, no, this is what's going on. This is what's happening here. Um, it, just, it dispelled a lot of the myths. I think there were so many people who knew what D&D was but had never experienced it in that way, right? And you know, mm-hmm. obviously playing is your, is your uh, best way to learn, but watching is, a, a, I think, a very close second. And I think the growth of Twitch and streaming platforms on the, the video game side and then uh, having tabletop be a small percentage of that that is also growing um, – Contributed a lot to uh, 2017 being, you know, the record-breaking year that it was uh, for, for Dungeons and Dragons. I, I totally agree. It's become really accessible, and even the rules for D and D five E seem really streamlined. You can pick it up. It's not, you know, you're not when when we're playing, you're not sitting there debating rules. Your nose isn't a book that long. It's, you know, yeah, it's very understandable, very streamlined. And it lets the play keep going. So right. Really well, and that and that I didn't even yeah, but the rules themselves. I think uh, the team here did a fantastic job of using parts of previous iterations of Dungeons and Dragons and and making it really feel like 5th was an addition for all. Like you didn't mm-hmm. you know if you loved 3.5 there was something for you that you could latch onto. If you loved 4th edition, you could, you know, latch onto uh, uh, certain mechanics that that you know like the cantrips for spellcasters is a great example where like all right, that felt right and that's what should be in in all D&D going forward, you know, as well as people who uh, uh, were in the old school renaissance, the OSR kind of came up in the you know 2010 kind of era. Uh, people who only played you know Dungeons and Dragons of yore could still approach fifth and be like, all right, this this doesn't feel that much different than than OD and D, and I can still get onto it. Um, I think that that was a brilliant move in, in making it feel like it was this amalgam of additions, uh, really than anything else. Uh, and then bringing character forward. I think bringing flaws and bonds and uh, uh, character-centric uh, uh, characteristics on your on your on your character sheet. You know, a it made it for better streaming, so that it was more uh, entertainment and personality based. Um, but then it also just, you know, we, we could really latch onto this idea of storytelling, and that's what you're doing. You're not you're not sitting around crunching numbers and uh, reading manuals all night. You're you're telling a story together. Uh, and I don't think that really coalesced until all of, of these factors of fifth came into, into, into being. And that's, that's why it became more popular for people to stream and then consequently became more popular for everyone to just jump in and try. Perfect storm. Right. We actually, we played uh, at PAX East in, I believe it was 2014, right, Alex? I don't know. Yes. I, I think it was 2014, PAX East, and uh, they were just rolling out 5E, you know, uh, they, they had a bunch of, uh, I guess I would call them professional DMs down in the uh, in the bottom floor there. And yeah. uh, we went as a studio and signed up, you know, as a for a stoic game for a round table. It was supposed to be like a two hour session. I think it was four and a half or five hours by the time we were done. Nice. It was yeah. awesome. It was yeah, a lot of fun for the whole team. You know, E3 is this huge uh, gaming expo with all the new hottest stuff. And the entire time, me and Arnie are like, man, can't wait for that D&D session. <laughs> that's all we wanted to do. Uh, and then it was a great game. The guy ran it great. And, uh, you know, the group of us uh, completed the thing and had a great time. And just makes you want to do more. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It one, of the, one, one of the last uh, 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 judges weeks that I went to as, uh, as part of the press 
uh, you know, we were seeing all the best games apparently coming out of, you know, that E3 that year. And I think it was, I think it was 2014 as well. Um, but uh, one of my former, former colleagues was like, hey, you want to do a D&D session one of these nights? And we did it one night in D, and then the next night was supposed to be when the, all these parties were going on. And we were like, I don't want to go to any of those. Let's just, you want to just continue that, that, that campaign? <laughs> and we did. We went back, and everyone was kind of like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, we're going to go play D&D. And, yeah, I, I feel like that's happening a lot in the video game world where uh, people crave that, that, that face-to-face. You know, another thing, uh, podcasts were huge for a while, and uh, to, to speak about streaming and stuff, a lot of people like these extremely long uh, sessions where they can, you know, listen to them at work or whatever they're doing uh, over six hours and, uh, you know, kind of in the background. And uh, there isn't very many uh, forms of entertainment that can really sit for that long, mm. you know, and still be entertaining. Yeah, not even, you know, there's that six-hour session, but then there's, you know, 155 of them now. Right, so, exactly. Right? The, the, I mean, the, the Critical Role campaign that went, you know, uh, 115, 118 sessions or something like that, if you think about that, you know. As, that's, like, that's like months of content. Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, three times what's been made for Game of Thrones, you know, or, or even the Harry <laughs> Potter movies or things like that. And, and, and you're right, people love to follow it almost similarly, like in, in a serial format. And I think that mm-hmm. was something that, uh, you know, we, no one would have predicted five years ago, you know, you four never, years ago. I think you never know where it's going to go. It's really, it's kind of new to people that, that never got into D&D before, but it's not like a movie or, oh, I read the book or, you know, it can take any direction on the next page yeah. uh, kind of thing. So it's really, it's cool that way. Yeah, it is cool. And you mentioned podcasts and I think, uh, you know, I'd be remiss not to make sure not to mention uh, the audio play uh, is, you know, in addition to streaming is 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 something that really people, you know, uh, has become this great way to get people into it. Right. Like, you know, you could do an audio book, you know, that's one thing. But here you are listening to these 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 characters uh, improvising along the way. And, and you're right. There's something mm-hmm. just super intoxicating about that. Uh, and the, uh, the audio podcast, I mean, Adventure Zone is, 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 is the top of the list there, but there are hundreds of just audio uh, dramas that are all being created now uh, with um, uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragons as the framework for, for the storytelling, which is super exciting. Yeah. Adventure Zone was one of those great like transitions, I think, for people because it was obviously this comedy podcast, but they were playing real D&D. And uh, I think it was easy to listen to if you weren't into it. And it was it was fun to listen to if you were really into it. It's just the more of that kind of stuff that comes out, the, I think the more, you know, it's going to cross over between people who wouldn't normally uh, consider it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, the folks who are who are into watching, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies uh, uh, as much as I was, as well as now, you know, Game of Thrones and other shows, even Vikings, things like that. Like, those are so much more... Uh, you know, water cooler conversations than they were, you know, back in the 80s when, when, when D&D was new. I mean, they were still talking about Dallas and, and uh, General Hospital in the 80s, not so much about, <laughs> right. you know, these, these genre things. I can't believe how big Game of Thrones got, you know, with yeah. the public. It really, it, it, I'm looking at it going, wait a minute, this is the same stuff I've been reading my whole life. And, you know, it didn't seem like the populace was into it. And all of a sudden it exploded and yeah. you know, it was big. A hard fantasy show. I don't. I don't know that that's ever been popular before Game of Thrones. Maybe you know. Maybe the original Lord of the Rings uh, got kind of people warmed up for it. You know, because that that was also really big. The, the 
Yeah, yeah. I think the Peter Jackson movies, like that, you yeah. know, that winning an Oscar, I think, catapulted all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was that what, like two thousand three, two thousand two, or something like that, and right, and that's that. You know, along with the Harry Potter movies, I think really just brought it all uh, into this sharp focus, where it's like it doesn't. It's all stories. We all like it. It doesn't matter that it is, uh, uh, you know, something that used to be uh, about elves and dwarves and 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 wands, but uh, you know, now mm-hmm. everybody everybody loves that. You know, my my kid went to a birthday party uh, that was uh, Harry Potter themed. You know, a couple months ago, you know, everybody was wearing their robes with their wands and stuff. And I was like, man, I'm amazed that's still that big. Yeah. You know? so Harry Potter's like the closest thing we've got to Star Wars at this point, you know? It's true. Um, so, yeah, that's super cool. And, and I love that you guys are, are uh, you know, championing, championing uh, that kind of storytelling and, and banner saga. Uh, so, you mentioned a little bit about how it was like, uh, the branching of the dialogue and things is, is something that you guys uh, are working on uh, uh, to, to, to tell stories that it feels like the player has some agency to, but there's limitations. So how do you, how do you make it feel like there's, there's, there's limitless storytelling possibilities while also making it able to be coded? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll, let, yeah. I'll let Alex take this <laughs> Well, I know. I mean, that's a real challenge. And uh, anything of that scope you don't just have it all in your head. You have to kind of sculpt it as you go. Um, but we always had our like top priorities, the things that we had to hit. And uh, you kind of chisel away, like, what can we get away with? And then you'll be, you know, on this thread and realize like, oh my gosh, it'd be super cool if players could do that. Uh, and you try to go back and add. Um, it's a lot of kind of, um, it's almost like, it's almost the opposite of DMing in some ways because you're trying to create these linear experiences and to the player, it feels like a linear experience. Like they're just going off on their one story. Um, But to us, we know that it's just spider webs all over the place. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, that's that's a good thing for the player because it it does feel like instead of this... uh, uh, you know, never-ending series of branches. It feels like the thing that happened to them was the real thing. You know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think Banner Saga does that really well, and I think uh, um, the Telltale uh, game, Walking Dead, the first one, I think was was transcendent in that way, where it felt like you were just telling, you were just going through your story. It didn't yeah. feel like you were being having a story told at you. Now, like one of the things that I do is is um, mercilessly dissect video games. Uh, so, you know, I, I I would go through and play all the different branches or, you know, save scum the hell out of it. <laughs> and one of our major goals with the Banner Saga was that there aren't false choices, you know. And a lot of these games, I understand, like, you know, you have so many resources, so you have to um, wrap it up, you know, keep it, keep it together. Uh, you can't have a wildly different tangent. And in the Banner Saga, our, one of our highest priorities was to let the player actually make choices that usually matter. And uh, if the reviews are any indication, I think we actually pulled it off, but it damn near killed us. <laughs> it's funny, the, uh, when we were first doing Banner Saga 1, we knew the story from the be- We knew the entire trilogy as far as the basic story from the very beginning, because Alex mapped it all out. But the biggest decision in the very first one uh, if you played the game, you understand what we're talking about. I actually came as a as an idea way late 
in the in the game. And we were talking about like, well, you know, what do we do at this point in the game? We want there to really be a major decision to pull players back and end on a cliff cliffhanger. And we came up with that idea and it was almost like, oh my gosh, you can't do this. You know, and the idea is basically killing off one of the major heroes. And we didn't even know what it would mean for the next games and how to maintain that and how to mm. keep it going. But it was a huge, a huge diversion. And from that moment on, we had to uh, we had to keep all those, you know, same decisions that, that the players made. And then we, you know, once we did that and people really loved it, we just kept it going uh, all the way through to right. with major decisions that can really change uh, the game from one player to another. Uh, yeah, so that's what we're known for, but like Alex said, I don't, I don't know if we're, we need to take a, a break for a little while, maybe. From that. <laughs> it, it, there was a lot of decisions that was like, this is right for the story, and this would be awesome to let the player choose. Are we cool with doubling the amount of content we now have to produce from now on? <laughs> and we go, oh, yeah, let's try, you know. <laughs> It was, at every step, though, it was always like, we have to put our best foot forward. It's the coolest thing to do right now. We'll figure it out later, like how to make this work. And we just kind of kept ironing out the wrinkles, you know, in the story all the way to the end of Banner Saga 3 that way. That's crazy. So, I mean, I'm so curious to, like, look at how the documents, you know, like what the, what the spreadsheet looks like in order to map all of, all of these branching dialogue. Like, what, what tools do you guys use to, to do that, to write it? You know, I yeah. What do you guys do? We we look at our wiki a lot. We, uh, <laughs> we we ask our community what 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 was that again that happened? <laughs> we did, we didn't really have spreadsheets for all the decisions that could be. So for a lot yeah. of the stuff that, we, that Alex was writing, he would just track it down on the net. You know. Wow. Yeah. To, to kind of clarify, I don't I don't even know if it would be possible to really spreadsheet out all the choices and all the things that can happen in a readable way. Um, so a lot of it just relies on us kind of knowing, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems with game development is anytime you try to do this design doc, design changes so quickly and like story changes so, so frequently that keeping it up to date and correct is very difficult. Um, especially when you have multiple people working on the same project. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it really relied on just having some of us know everything about the game and then ask, being able to ask our super fans, you know, things that we forgot. I, I guess I, I mean, as a, as a, as a writer of scripts and, you know, things that are very linear, you know, I, I can go back and look at my process and see how that, that works. But so, so what you're telling me, there is no living document of, of all of the dialogue in Banner Saga three it was all kind of done as it was being developed. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, each each uh, individual dialogue is a separate file, and there's no place, there's no repository where you can just sort through everything right. that's been written and and see all the branches. But then, of um, course, then that you said it, you know, it requires the special knowledge of you guys as developers, but then you, you, you left for, for a time. <laughs> so how, how did that work with Banner Saga 2? Well, I mean, I was on call. Uh, <laughs> answer stuff, but well, Arnie but was like, "Get in here, stat. We don't understand what's happening." <laughs> well, no, but really, Arnie knows quite a lot of it as well. Oh, okay, not good. As much as I do, um, so that there are people <laughs> available for that. But thankfully, uh, the the person that was helping Alex that that wrote a lot of the side quests for Banner Saga One, uh, he, we 
he was a, uh, another writer, Drew McGee. And at the time he was kind of cruising across Australia, you know, typing as he, you know, sat on a beach. And uh, so oh he God. really knew, knew the whole lore as well. And when Alex took a break, he came in and was the, the main writer for Banner Saga 2. And he did a fantastic job. But it was really lucky that we didn't have to, you know, bring a new guy in, train him up. Because that, that would have needed, okay, crap, we got to take a side. Uh, we, we need to sidetrack and write a bunch of design docs to get him up to speed. So it was really cool that, uh, that Drew could hop in. And do that was that. lucky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah if, if a couple of us die in a car crash, it'd be serious problems. But I mean, that's not to say you couldn't go back into the files, reverse engineer all of it. It, it would just be time consuming. Right. You just didn't have that like kind of working knowledge of, of being as intimate with the, uh, the material. Uh, yeah, that, that takes some time. It's a weird game in that you can't just say, well, okay, you know, the new writers start off by playing the games, you know, because you would have to play Banner Saga 1 like 10 times to mm-hmm. try to figure out all, you'd have to pick different decisions every single time and try to figure out all the trees. So it, 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 there is some difficulty there. It's not like a lot of the other games I've worked on where you can play the game and get it, you know. Unless you play like Alex does and do tons of saves coming. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, what uh, are, are, I'm trying to bring this back to D and D is like, are there any lessons learned uh, from this process that has changed the way that you dungeon master or or that, that you tell stories, or even as a player, you know, that that you can see the illusions that the the dungeon master is doing by giving you the illusion of choice, but not actually giving you a meaningful choice? Like, wh- wh- how how has your game playing, uh, you know, uh, gone back and forth between developing this digital game and and, and the analog game of D and D? But developing the digital kind of story where everything is rock solid and has a, has an arc and has pacing and has character development, that's all like extremely uh, like high difficulty stuff. And I feel like the beauty of D&D is that you are reacting to your players. You're not, they're not reacting to you uh, so much. Um, and, you know, it's such a different style of... Um, uh, kind of interacting in, a, in an imaginary world that it's something that I would really like to experiment more with because, you know, my inclination, like when I have tried to run some games is it does tend to come out like I'm hoping they go this way because that's where all the content is, you know, <laughs> and there's some understanding from the beginning, like, Hey, here's the premise. Do we all agree that, you know, we're working towards this, but I would love to uh, work in a more free form uh, setting where it is more like, you know, the group decides where they're going and what they're doing. Um, something that we're always really interested in at Stoic is world building. And I think once you have this really defined world building kind of experience, you can, you can have it open up to these kind of, uh, more, uh, player driven narratives, Mm. you know, does that make sense on, on your end, Arnie? Have you have you have you learned anything from from making Banner Saga uh, that that you use in your home game? Uh, yeah, I think I think on a few levels. When when Alex is talking about uh, well, for one, the, the first thing that hit me is that I'm used to working in a box. Like we've actually found in video games that working within a box or constrictions really helps us. You don't want the whole world to be totally open. You know, you kind of want to operate, know what our borders are, and then really flesh it out deeply from there. And, and, uh, and it helps you stay focused. I think in D and D, um, 
I think you, you really do have to try to organically lead people where you want them to go. And if they get off the rails, I'm totally happy to ad lib for a while, but trying to bring them back onto the rails eventually. Um, but good grief, what was I about to say about that? Oh, even I think even when I'm playing D&D, if I'm not DMing or something, I'm happy to play within the box. So let's say, for instance, if Alex is DMing and I'm playing, I understand where the story's going. And it doesn't detract from that for me to be like, but I want to go anywhere. Like I, I follow the story and I go with it. And we have little twists and turns that we take along the way. But I think that's that's kind of part of the relationship between player and DM that you, you have to have. I mean, there is that acknowledgement that we're, you know, this is this is the adventure. We're trying to go basically in this direction. And it can go south from there. I mean, you could have a guy that you're relying on at the end to hand scroll to the people to, and they kill him. Yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> that's totally within the realm of awesomeness. But don't, you know, don't realize that we're trying to kill a green dragon and go the opposite direction. Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to go chase this donkey, not that dragon. And you're yeah. like, all right, well, that's a totally yeah, different so, game. So I it's guess kind of a, living within a box is, is the most thing that I've learned. I, I just see how it dovetails between video games and then pen and paper. I agree with that. Sweet. All right. Well, now I'm really excited to play uh, Banner Saga 3 and, uh, uh, you know, suss out I, all, I, of, all of this. Well, I, I I played one. I, I get through one, and then do two, and then get the three. Of course, I don't want to. I don't want to skip the line. That's never. That's never good. I think with with well, this kind of a story, right? You, you know what we're hoping. I mean, a lot of people play Banner Saga one, and then when they realized, oh, this is a trilogy, they go, I'll just wait for it to be done. Like I'm not going to play Banner Saga two, and then wait a couple more years. So what we're really trying to do right now is, is let people know that you can go up on Steam or whatever device you have and, and download the trilogy now. It's kind of like. Uh, you know, binging on your favorite Netflix series or something. Oh, yeah. We're hoping a lot of people at this point just go, I'm going to buy the whole thing because the whole game is designed to be played and digested in really one long session. It wasn't supposed to be broken up uh, two years apart. We just couldn't do the entire game fast enough with a small team. So it makes a lot more sense if people haven't hopped on or if they played Banner Saga 1, but it was six years ago or four years ago, rather. Uh, hop in now and play the entire uh, series. You'll realize that the, that the combat and everything kind of ramps up and changes as you go. And uh, we think that this was always the way it was supposed to be enjoyed, was as one game, you know. That's kind of cool. All right, so it's not like the... It, 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 it is like Lord of the Rings in that, you know, it was broken up in volumes just for convenience sake. It yeah, was supposed to be one continuous story. And you kind of have to say that because so many times these days you have games that are like, oh, such and such game. I don't want to name games. but And then you have, you know, such and such two. And really two is totally divorced. Sometimes even the combat's totally different. They have a different camera angle. You know, they're, they're, they call it two. Hey, I like That's two. All right. I gave two five stars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, some, some IPs, you know, you might like the second one more than the first because it's really different. Banner right. Saga is really the same game uh, that just ramps up and modifies through story over the three. So it's a little bit different, I think, than what most yeah. people used to. Yeah, And quality. I, I like to think that over the six years we've been developing it, we've gotten a lot better uh, mm. on every front, you know, combat, story, uh, uh, animations and cutscenes and things. Um, so three is is definitely, in my opinion, the the strongest of the games. But they work; uh, they're they're meant to be played all at once. You know, we originally set out to make a single game, and then quickly realized our ambition was uh, ridiculous. Uh, Which is a good thing. It's good to have ridiculous ambitions sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it was, it, was, it became, even breaking it up, it was a ridiculous ambition for us. So, Well, uh, congratulations on getting it out, uh, having all three, three games uh, and or one game uh, out with three chapters. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's really fascinating storytelling. If people haven't uh, picked it up, I definitely suggest if you like D&D, uh, as well as the uh, flavor of turn-based combat. And the, uh, yeah, I don't want to say the shockingness of it, but the, 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 uh, the, the turns that the story takes are not, I think, what uh, many people would suspect uh, upon playing through any kind of uh, uh, tropey game like this. So, I, yeah. yeah, I'm excited for it. Thank so you cool. very much. I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. You mentioned on, uh, on St- you, you can get it on Steam and other platforms. What, what are all the platforms that it's on now right now? Steam, Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, uh, Choose your favorite, basically. Yeah. It's on everything but mobile. Nice. If you have a favorite platform, just go get it. Awesome. Uh, and what about you guys? Where can people find out about what's going on with Stoic or, or, or you guys individually? Uh, just go up to bannersaga.com and uh, we've got all the latest news up there and you know whatever else is going on within the studio. Yeah, we got a lot going on for whatever comes next, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely make sure people hear about it when we're ready. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Do you guys have any uh, personal Twitter handles or anything you want to get out there for for people if they have questions or? <laughs> want- talking to the two wrong guys for yeah. that. All right. A lot of other people at the studio would, would would come back with an answer, but we have none. Good. All right. Good for you. Stay stay analog while you can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great talking to you guys. Uh, I'm excited to learn more. Hopefully, we'll be at an event or convention uh, uh, at the same time and maybe roll some dice together. We should really hook yeah. up. That'd be a lot of fun. Good times. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. Thank you. So what did you think of that interview? Did you think uh, you got everything out of it that you wanted? Do you think you would have added something to it? I probably would have added. Probably a lot. Just kidding. It was fantastic. It was out of this world. I'm Crazy Eddie. Do you remember Crazy Eddie? No, what's crazy? You grew up in the East Coast. Wait, yes, I do. What, that's crazy, me. Eddie. My prices are insane. Yes, I do remember that. So like TVs or something. Yeah. I, crazy I, Eddie. Does I anyone else those? remember Crazy Eddie? I, I, anyone in the world remember Crazy Eddie? Lauren, I remember. Do you remember Crazy Eddie? So I was talking to this company in uh, back in Connecticut, but they were like, oh, they had an office in Milford. And I was like, oh, Milford. Milford Amusement Center. We've got the fun. And I was like, oh, where did that come from? Wow. Where did that come from? It's it like was lodged in my brain. For a long time. I know. I like, used to watch it on like, you know, Channel 38 and Aww. WTNH Channel 11 or Channel 8. Yeah. I was just like, all these like memories came flying back. So, Whoa. yeah. It's amazing how uh, uh, jingles. They stay in your head. They stay there forever. It's almost like that was what they were trying to do. That's so weird. We should come up with a Dungeons and Dragons jingle. We need a dragon talk jingle. We've got dragons. We've got talk. We will sell you bathroom cock. see love it love it yeah we are purveyors of sealants yes all in your bathrooms where you keep your dragons (laughs) and talk and talk and tiles and And toothbrushes wait is that we lost we lost the thread here somewhere anyway Uh, anyway. I'm so glad you're back uh, Shelly Uh, where can people follow you and find out more about all the fun stuff you got going on with Avalon Hill as well as the thing we haven't announced yet? Avalon Hill at Avalon Hill 2, the number 2 on Twitter. And where are you? I'm at Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo. I'm a moo Yeah. So did you see all your mom's moo cows when you were uh, back home? I am her moo cow. But doesn't she like collect them as well? 
She, no. She sends them to you she to collect. She sends them to me. She doesn't have her own but collection? I actually did bring her a little um, cow tea towel, mm-hmm. and it says moo on it, and she loves it. She's like, every time I look at it, I laugh. That's very nice. Yeah, super cute. Super cute. Um, I am at Greg Tito. You can follow me there. I am or. at Greg underscore Tito on the Instagrams. Uh, and if you want to find out about this crazy game called D&D, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Find out everything you need to know there, including uh, all of our podcasts and things that we do there. Uh, we have the Dice Camera Action Podcast feed now for your consumption. Cool. If you want to listen to all those adventures that Chris Perkins has been going on with the Waffle Crew, you can do so there. We'll try to keep those as updated as possible going forward. We also have another feed called Dungeon Delve, which has a bunch of ed, uh, adventuring going on there. We're running a promotion called Podcasts of Waterdeep in September talking all about what's happening with Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Uh, it's a super ambitious project that I'm really proud uh, that uh, Josh Peralt and uh, Victoria Rogers are working on. Very nice of them. Good stuff organizing all. Lots of great creative folks involved, so can't wait for more uh, news to come out on that. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. Get in touch with us if you ever want to find out more. Or just say hello. Or just say hello. Anything you want to part with here before we... Happy, I'm Here, I'm just going to throw this rock against the wall. Nothing will ever happen. Another, I, ow! Ah! Oh, ow, 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 medic, ow. Ow.